The views expressed in our podcast do not represent the views of all sorority organizations. You might even hear different viewpoints among MJ sorority team members featured. Real Talk intends to foster open dialogue about issues we see across the country that affect real women. And beyond these thoughts and recommendations, we would ultimately refer you back to local, state, and federal authorities, as well as your own sorority's rules and policies. While we intend to keep content light and informative, there may be insurance claims discussed that involve bodily injury and personal damage of a sensitive nature. Be aware that topics may be a bit graphic and even emotionally charged. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Real Talk with MJ Sorority, the voice of sorority risk management, where we talk about the big risks, small questions, and real challenges sorority women face today. MJ Sorority is the premier insurance agency for women's sororities. We are passionate about educating and empowering our clients. We believe that striving to be unique never stops, and that by promoting safe decisions and smart risks, we can continue to create spaces for women to grow, serve, and lead. I'm Sarah. And I'm Allison. Be sure to stick around for the end of the episode where we get into what we can't stop talking about, besides sorority risk management, of course. For now, let's dive into our conversation and let's get real. Hello, this is Sarah Sturley with MJ Sorority, and today I have with me Heidi and Astasia for the first time. Would you ladies like to introduce yourselves, maybe starting off with Astasia? Yes, hi. Glad to be here. My name is Astasia Brandenburg, and I've been a client executive with MJ Sorority for almost six years now. Um, actually, six years in just a couple of weeks. I have the pleasure of working with about a third of our sorority clients directly, as well as NPC, everything from soup to nuts. I also, as a recovering attorney, read all of the university documents that come through our office, um, all the relationship agreements with the universities, and I read a lot of leases to help all of our sorority clients avoid any insurance pitfalls and kind of give um, some helpful hints for them to look at and maybe even talk to their own um, attorneys about in order to make sure that they keep their organization safe. Awesome. What about what keeps you busy outside of MJ Sorority? That was a lot of things. I am definitely busy outside of MJ Sorority. I have two kids at home and a husband. Um, My daughter Nora is 12 and she's in the seventh grade and my son Sam is nine and in the fourth grade and they are both competitive gymnasts. We spend lots of time going back and forth to the gym and I have a dog Lulu who is um, my constant companion. And my husband Chad, who owns and runs a hydroponic farm here in town, growing um, herbs and microgreens and other healthy things for restaurants around the Indianapolis area. Yes, healthy, delicious things. And for Sarah. Yes. And for Sarah. <laughs> I eat a lot of Chad's herbs. That sounds weird, but it's true. <laughs> okay, Heidi, what about you? Hi, I'm Heidi. And I've been in the sorority division for 27 years. And I've been with Cindy, the vice president of our department for a little over 30 years. Started out actually on the insurance company side as the underwriter for the sorority program. And then in 1992, moved over to the agency side with Cindy. And this is pretty much my after-college life has been insurance sororities. At this particular time, I have the title of Senior Client Executive. However, I don't have any direct client responsibilities at this point. I'm here to assist the other client executives and hopefully be able to train new 
staff members coming in and to help out where needed. Awesome. And what about you? What keeps you busy outside of? Well, I'm in the second year of an empty nest. I have one daughter who will be 20 next week, and she's a sophomore in college. She is a collegiate athlete, plays golf, and then I'm married to my husband for 28 years. Woot woot. <laughs> we can't woot woot the the work one and not the right marriage right. One. <laughs> so right now we're just having fun, getting to know each other again, going out all the time. Um, really would like to move into something a little less that requires less maintenance. So we're just we're having fun actually. Everybody warns you know warns you when your child goes off to college that it's going to be really different and you're going to be sad. We, we've not experienced that. We've we've been having fun. That sounds lovely right now, doesn't it, Asuja? It does sound lovely. <laughs> I think I'm going to be a really good empty nester. So too. <laughs> I think I'm, yes. Yeah, it, it's good. I'm not going to lie. All right. So thanks for introducing yourselves, ladies. We'll hear lots more from Astasia and Heidi in episodes to come. But today we are talking about designated drivers and designated driving programs, maybe a little bit more specifically. But we wanted to start off um, having you two maybe just tell us, explain to us how this topic even relates to risk management. Uh, and not, I mean, obviously for sororities, but it's kind of a bigger, you know, issue that most of us are going to have to deal with forever in terms of how, it, you know, responsible transportation, if we have been drinking or, um, you know, anything along those lines. Transportation around events is certainly one of the biggest problems that our clients run into. Um, in every facet of getting people just from one place to another regardless of what they've been doing. This one is a particular area of frustration because the most obvious answer, of course we want to have a designated driver program and not have people who have been drinking drive home on their own isn't the position that we've ultimately come to because of a liability standpoint. So I think it's, it's important to talk about and realize where we're coming from when we talk about we recommend that you not have a designated driver program and in keeping with your organization's policies that you not have a designated driver program. Anything to add, Heidi? Well, not to have a program that is not used in conjunction with a social, with, with, with an event that is planned on behalf of the chapter. And first and foremost, you need to be following your own organization's policies and guidelines. But those are more than likely, those have been brought about because of our recommendations. And so Stacia was alluding to the fact that we can no longer recommend just a, a designated driver program that's not used in conjunction with an event. And I guess maybe we should jump in and talk about what we're talking about. So kind of jumping ahead of Sarah here, designated driver programs, what we're talking about is those programs that are organized and mandated by the chapter um, that require everyone that participates to both, if they're going to use it as a rider, that they are also required to use it as a driver, and that they're regularly scheduled every Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights for either all members or select members to participate in. Not necessarily, again, not for a specific event that is associated with a sorority, but just to get women around town um, as part of a program on a regular basis. Yeah, good point. And so we talk about this in terms of risk management because, as Astacia mentioned, transportation in general is really one of the biggest risks that our clients face. So, of course, trying to figure out how to better manage that risk falls into risk management, obviously. 
But what are some other reasons? You've kind of explained what our position is, but what are some reasons, like how did we get here? Obviously, there were some claims in this area um, that we might get into, but also how did we come to this you know, conclusion over time? Sure, this actually happened quite a long time ago, a couple decades ago, actually, when the environment about of driving was much different than it is today. We didn't have the options of using Uber or Lyft 20, 25 years ago. Um, I never thought that I would, would ever see a claim arise out of the use of a designated driver program, but that's exactly what happened. We didn't have any claims that arose because we didn't have a designated driver program. We had a pretty severe claim arise because we did have a designated driver program, which kind of made us relook at all the advice and opinions and how the coverage would respond and why we came up with this particular position paper on the fact that we could not support designated driver programs unless they were used in conjunction with a scheduled um, activity. And um, I don't know, did you want to get into the particulars of the claim? Before we go any further though, I do want to jump in and make sure that everybody understands that we are not saying that anybody should ever drive a vehicle if they have consumed <laughs> alcohol. So let me Good be point. very just clear. The, the attorney comes in to, <laughs> that just to save us. What we are hoping and we will help you find other solutions to create safe transportation opportunities for sisters to return home safely after they've been consuming alcohol, but we are not saying that they should drive anyway rather than being part of a designated driver program. Yes, definitely. So what were the, the claim that Heidi was alluding to is um, a designated driving program that was in place um, on a campus, and so it was just a regular Thursday or Friday night, and the chapter had a sober cis program in which the chapter members would rotate the responsibility of staying sober for a few weekends a semester so that other chapter members would be guaranteed a designated driver on those evenings when they might need a safe ride home. So a, a member and a couple of her friends were out at the local bars one evening and because they'd been drinking they called the sorority sober cis for the evening to come pick them up and return them safely to the chapter house. The sister that was designated as the sober sis for that weekend left for the bars to pick up the other member and her friends right after she called. On their way home, the driver came to an intersection with a flashing red light. Believing that the intersection was a four-way intersection, Laura proceeded through the intersection after stopping. The intersection was actually only a two-way intersection with a flashing red light for one direction and a flashing yellow light for the other direction. The vehicle that was coming from the other direction did not stop because he had the flashing light, flashing yellow light. Subsequently, the vehicle was struck by the vehicle coming from the opposite direction. The woman who had called for the ride suffered injuries to her upper body and face, none of which were life-threatening. And I think really what we, this is a terrible thing to have happen to anybody in your chapter, but I think what we don't realize is that liability that the driver of the car takes on when she's driving on behalf of the organization. Sometimes there's a false assumption that if you are driving on behalf of your organization, that your organization has insurance to cover any costs that might, might arise out of that activity. The truth is, and this is true for all commercial auto policies, not just the policies that our sororities all purchase for us, but that 
you always insure your own car and your own risks that you're taking on while you're driving your own car. The sorority also buys insurance, but that is to protect them in case they would be named in a lawsuit. So the result of this case was that um, the woman that was injured um, estimated that her medical costs were about $250,000. And her, um, she sued the um, several individuals that were involved in the accident for over $800,000, which includes uh, monies for pain and suffering over and above the medical costs. So she sued the sorority because the sorority had, was responsible for putting that program in place that had the driver that then put her in harm's way. She also sued the parents of the driver who settled with the plaintiff in excess of $550,000. So I think one thing that women don't understand when they are driving on behalf of their organization at any time is that they are taking on that responsibility for themselves. Um, and that's probably not a liability that either the women themselves or their parents who are often paying for the car insurance and have the assets that would be at risk for the liabilities, that they're putting those um, assets at risk and their parents in the position of being liable for something that could happen. Right, definitely. That's a great point, Nastasia. And again, talking about this is not just unique to the sororities, but this is, is really a life lesson to learn so no matter who you're volunteering on behalf of, whether that be junior league, your church, uh, even your job, if you're driving, um, just be aware that it's gonna be your particular insurance policy that's going to respond. Yeah, definitely. I think that's like to both of your point that we don't think about that. That's one thing when I have used this claim example in presentations, especially to collegians across the country, they're just in shock that the parent and in this case you know they are like well I would never sue my sorority but in this case the woman who was injured it was her parents that sued so I, she was still living in the sorority I mean I don't it, it wasn't like she had a personal vendetta it was her parents wanting to get those medical costs paid for and then pain and suffering as well so I think that uh, that always generates a lot of conversation when we talk about that um, you know in presentations Sometimes also even that individual wouldn't have the choice either because it would be their insurance company that would be responsible for paying for their injuries. They might decide that they need to um, find someone else that's the cause of the injury and be reimbursed right. for those expenses that the insurance company has been out. It's called subrogation. It's, it's very common in insurance and all sorts of insurance, but this could happen with medical insurance yeah, as well. definitely. And, you know, as soon as a smart plaintiff is involved and finds out that it was a sorority sponsored you know program in this situation um, then of course the sorority is going to get brought into that lawsuit because it's you know thought of as deep pockets um, so the just things that we don't often think about when you know we're just thinking that we're going to go help a friend out at the bars or whatever so what are some other kind of reasons when we were thinking through what our position was going to be on this because part of our um, idea with the podcast is just we have so many nuanced conversations as a team on these things it's not like we just you know talk about it once or even twice we'll have many ongoing conversations that get us here and maybe it you know it's kind of summarized into a two-page position paper but it doesn't show all the conversation that went into it on the back end so can you guys rem remember back to um, kind of some of the other things in addition to obviously the claim example that you used that got us here. 
on why they should not be used in conjunction? How we came up with the position in the first place. Um, so it basically, some like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, when once the chapter is organizing these types of programs, then the chapter is welcoming the claims that might arise. In this case, really, the driver didn't make an obvious mistake. I mean, that's a very easy mistake to make, to think that it's a four-way stop when it's not. So she was being a safe driver. She hadn't been drinking. She wasn't taking undue risks. She wasn't speeding. But even the best drivers make mistakes, and we never know when that's going to happen. Um, And so we don't want to allow the chapter to take on those responsibilities, especially to put somebody who may or may not be comfortable with that position to be there. So it's different than when a friend is willing just to pick up another friend at the bar when it's not a standardized, ongoing chapter event that is requiring participation in the program. Right, exactly. And so as um, Station Heidi mentioned, designated driver programs really put the driver at undue risk for claims that, you know, if, and if you are going to be a designated driver, which again is a great thing for a friend or something like that, just knowing that anytime you get behind the wheel of a car, you're, you know, there is some risk involved. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also the chapter, I mean, if you were really going to put a program like this in place, you would need to do, take very careful controls to make sure that the the drivers were screened. I mean, this is what happens in employment. If somebody is, drives frequently for their job, then their employer likely has, um, make sure that they are pulling their motor vehicle reports, um, they're aware what kind of driver they are, if they're, if they're a safe driver, do they have adequate insurance, they have rules in place to make sure that they're not um, being distracted drivers. And these are all controls that would really be impossible to put in place for the sorority because they don't have that kind of control over their members. They're not employers, they're not in the business of tracking transportation Mm -hmm. Um, and so that also because we don't know what kind of drivers are then so we again it goes against the the most safe driver or you don't know if it's somebody who's not a safe driver um, is taking on that responsibility well and I mean our population here is also 18 to 22 year olds so just I mean by virtue of the fact that they haven't been driving very long too Mm -hmm. poses some extra risk Um, so again just kind of you, if you were going to set it up, this, there's a lot of kind of negatives about um, you know the population that we're dealing with that the chapter would not want to take. Not only would they not have the capability to take on kind of that role of oversight, they wouldn't want to either. Um, and then one other thing that we've n- noticed is um, that oftentimes it's the younger women in the chapter because they can't drink yet that they're the sober cis. And so, and that may look to outsiders that this could be somewhat of a hazing type situation if you're having your younger members always striving to pick up older members. So it would have to be spread out amongst the membership where you would have, you know, half your members over 21 be participating, and that usually doesn't happen. Yeah, so just kind of opening up the sorority for just another, you know, a hazing risk in addition to the designated driver slash sober cis type risk as well. And then drawing the distinction, as Heidi mentioned earlier, between just a standard program to get people back and forth to non-sorority affiliated events 
versus having a designated driver that's in position that's taking on the responsibility for sorority events. If your sororities or women's fraternities risk management policies allow you to have designated drivers for events, then that is acceptable to us as well, as long as you're following your own organization's guidelines. However, once again, the women who are taking on that responsibility of driving need to understand that they are taking on a liability. The chapter already has liability because they've already set up this event, and so they're already tied to the event no matter what happens to it. And as they're having an event, they're responsible for providing some sort of transportation option for women that is viable and practical. A designated driver might be the best possible way, especially in some areas where Uber or busing is either too expensive or not available. Yeah, definitely. So that all leads us to what would we, so if your organization has a policy that allows designated driver programs in conjunction with official sorority events, then that's great. There's controls in place. But what about these kind of just random, you know, because as Astacia said, we certainly don't want to be encouraging our members to be driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs. So what can we kind of give them instead to think through? And especially like we, like Heidi said too, this is a life skill that they're going to have to learn if they're going to take on the responsibility to use alcohol. Hopefully, this is a less of a problem now than it was 20 years ago when we first came up with this policy because there are opportunities for rideshare, Uber, Lyft, public transportation is more common. And so becoming comfortable with those applications, again, keeping track of each other. Um, we often say, and you probably have heard us say it on every podcast, that risk management equals sisterhood. And we are really encouraging you to take good care of each other and tra providing transportation is one of those ways. So while well, either a designated driver for an event or if it's not an event, then helping each other using to use Uber or Lyft or other public transportation with a buddy um, will help them get where they need to go. Right, and there's still the option of being able to just text or call another member of your organization that you're friends with and just say, hey, I need a ride home. It just really, we just discourage the organized type designated driver programs. But by all means, you could have a friend come pick you up that's still a member of the chapter and that would be perfectly okay. Yes. So what we usually do at this point in the conversation is what we call yay or nay. So we're gonna go through, I'm gonna say some um, scenarios and then you guys are gonna tell us yay or nay. So um, let's say it's a random Thursday night and the chapter has decided on, you know, some newly initiated new member or the new members in general have to be the designated drivers, the sober sisses for, you know, this big thirsty Thursday party. Yay or nay? Nay. nay. <laughs> party sounds like fun though. <laughs> Uber home. Yes, Uber home. Also, I think to your point in terms of, like Heidi said, you could just call a friend and it could be a sorority sister. Um, but it's important, and this is, again, just a life skill, to do that ahead of time. To, you know, try not to wait until midnight and you're like, Ugh, I had too much to drink and maybe you can't find an Uber and, you know, then you're calling a friend or something like that. This is a good thing to decide before you go out, you know, you know what your limit's going to be and how you're going to get home. So... Okay, yay or nay. 
as part of an official sorority, like a formal, sorority formal. Yay or nay? Yay. Yay. If your organization's policies and guidelines allow you to do that, if that's part of their transportation policy, it's okay. Correct. Also, point, point, Astasia. Some of our <laughs> clients I know have instituted waivers um, that they request or require when someone is either acting as the designated driver or, and even sometimes for the riders in those vehicles, that they understand that they are taking on those liabilities of their own free will. They're not being required to do so. Yeah, that's a great idea. And we actually have a waiver template on our website, um, as well as some other information on Smart Waiver, which is an online resource that you can use. Um, and we can help you with that if you have questions. I will put a link to both of those in the show notes at mjsorority.com if you want to follow up. Okay, so one more yay or nay. Let's say um, I'm out one night and planning on getting an Uber, but then I can't find one. It's not coming or it's a long ways away. Um, and I know that Astacia is back at the chapter house studying for a test tomorrow. What, like, yeah, Renee, calling her to see if she can come pick me up. Yay. Yay. Yay for personal responsibility <laughs> and being good friends. But again, not a part, not like some officially sanctioned event um, through the sorority or through the chapter. So if you have any questions about any of the things we've talked about today, feel free to email us at realtalk at mjsorority or contact us via our website. Be sure to check out our website again for um, show notes for any resources that we've discussed today as well as how to contact us and lots more information about um, other types of kind of transportation risk management issues. So now we're going to have fun and turn to what we can't stop talking about lately. Um, Heidi, would you like to go first? What What is it that you just can't stop talking about? Oh, there's so much. But the, the, <laughs> the one thing that would be appropriate on the podcast would be, uh, I am just so excited that fall is right around the corner. I love fall in Indiana. The turning of the leaves, the crisp, cool air, I cannot stand summers in Indiana, very hot and humid, so I'm definitely looking forward to fall. And may I add football, big fan of watching football, and of course Thanksgiving, always look forward to that. So fall is my favorite season. <laughs> yes, and it has been, I feel like a really hot and sticky summer here, like more so than usual, or am I imagining I think it, that? I think it has. Okay, been. okay. So, slow to start, and then it gets yeah. really hot really fast. So yeah. definitely jealous of you Northwestern United States people. Oh, yeah. Oregon, Washington, I would love your weather. Yes, I went to visit Oregon coast a month ago and it was magical. She can't stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kidding, I'm just jealous. Okay, Seja, your turn. Well, what, what did you want to well, talk about? I am obsessed with all things politics, um, but this is probably not the time or place to discuss my personal politics. So, um, also, I have recently been started watching the net, the show. It's on Netflix. It's called Life Unexpected. It's a TV series. I think I started watching it years ago. It was on maybe the WB or one of those kind of yes. Um, Tina, I think Tina CW. Bomber. I because you were explaining it, and I was like, oh, this is like in my. Yeah. I'm just nervous for you because I think they just leave you hanging at the end, and I'm I very think sad they do. for you. There are two seasons, and I think it's probably just going to end. Um, but it's parenting a teenager. She shows up in their lives, and they weren't expecting her, and she wasn't expecting to find them. But I think as the parent of a um, burgeoning teenager, 
who is certainly showing me moments all the time. Um, but I've known her, obviously she's been mine since birth and we've grown there together. So watching a family learn how to struggle and love each other when they're faced with things that they hadn't really thought about um, is really touching and I've been really enjoying the program. Awesome, you're making me want to rewatch it again. I don't remember much of it, but I do remember being really sad when it was over. Um, I typically, in general, can't stop talking about food. And um, this time of year, our garden is just going nuts. So you think that kind of like, I mean, before I started gardening, at least in Indiana, I always thought like July and August were kind of the height of the garden season. But um, at least at our garden, it's like the end of August, beginning of September when everything's just going crazy. Um, So I've been just out there all the time as much as I can, soaking it up and picking lots of good food and preserving it and... Um, I'm still in the fun part. Uh, probably give me like two more weeks and I'll be like, okay, we are ready for fall and to put this thing to bed. And then I rest for a bit and then get all excited and can't stop talking about it again next spring. But we all very much appreciate Sarah. She is a pioneer when it comes <laughs> to all things food. And when Armageddon comes, we're all going to Sarah's house. <laughs> Fair. The sorority team, not the yes. entire podcast listening well, well, community. Correct, correct. The sorority <laughs> team. We're all going to Sarah's. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon, ladies, and um, we'll hope to hear from you again soon. Thanks for joining us for Real Talk. We want to hear from you. If you have feedback, comments, or questions, send us an email at realtalk at mjsorority.com. Visit our website, mjsorority.com to learn more about who we are, what we do, and explore our huge resource library. Check out the show notes from today's episode to dig a little deeper into the topics we discussed. This has been Real Talk with MJ Sorority. Be smart. Be safe. And we'll catch you next time.